So Don and I put our Christmas decorations away yesterday, and it's kind of a bittersweet thing, is it not? Because it's kind of like, oh, the joy of Christmas is now sitting out on the curb, right? <laughs> is that where we get the joy of our Christmas, from our tree? That's kind of idolatry, is it not? Um, but no, it's like, you know, it's just Christmas is so fun, so joyful, and then it comes that day, it's time to just put it away. So it's kind of, kind of sad. But on the other hand, it's kind of like the opportunity, sort of the first opportunity of the new year to sort of get things cleaned up and get prepared and, and clear the decks and be ready for uh, what's coming this year. And of course, none of us know what's coming this year. We don't know what the circumstances of our lives will be at all this year, do we? Right? So here's where, here's where I'm going this morning, and, and that is, and, and Robert just mentioned, we, we often have this tendency we want to make New Year's resolutions, right? And, 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 as we, and, and at this time of the year, as this transition from Christmas to New Year's, we think about some of the regrets that we might have had over this past year, some of the joys that we've had this past year, and we think, how can I maximize the joys this coming year and minimize the grief and sadness this coming year? How can I squeeze more out of life in the new year? How can I find more joy, more, more satisfaction and fulfillment, right? And I think really there are two key principles that will really help us maximize our joy this coming year, okay? Um, and we're going to look at someone, someone in the Bible who was very passionate in everything he did, whether he was celebrating and rejoicing in the Lord or whether he was uh, making confession to the Lord, he did it passionately. And of course, that was King David. So we're going to look at a couple Psalms and I want to focus really on two principles that I think this time next year we'll be able to say, you know what, I experienced more joy this year than, than, than I might have otherwise. All right, so the first Key idea, the first principle is that we seek the Lord, right? We talk about that a lot. And, and I love the way David expresses his love for the Lord and the way that he seeks the Lord. And we're going to look at one of his psalms, Psalm 16. I wish we had time to do the whole psalm, but we're just going to look, do one verse in Psalm 16. It's the, at the very end of Psalm 16, verse 11. And David says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right? You want to have more joy this coming year? And whatever the circumstances are, and by the way, joy in the Lord is completely independent of our circumstances, is it not? We may lose our job this year. Our health may fall apart this year. All, any number of things could happen. Maybe we'll have a great year. I don't know. Maybe a great year might be a distraction away from the Lord, right? But where we find joy, where we find blessing, where we find contentment is in the presence of the Lord, relating to him closely and connecting to him. And notice that David says, you make known to me the path of life. You give me the direction. You show me the road to life and life abundantly. Jesus came, said that I've come, that you might have life and life abundantly, right? Full of joy, full of blessing. In your presence, there's fullness of joy, complete joy, joy that has no lack, right? In your presence. 
and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So why do we not experience pleasures forevermore? Why do we not experience the fullness of joy? And I think it's because we're looking, we're looking for it in the wrong places. We're not seeking the Lord. We're not, we don't see God as the ultimate fountainhead of our satisfaction and joy. And as an example of this, let me, this is a little test, okay? And by the way, we're all going to fail the test. I'll just tell you that right up front, so don't feel bad when you fail this test. But when you, when it, this past Christmas season, when you started to think about, okay, what am I going to get a loved one for Christmas or a friend for Christmas, was your very first thought, how can I use my time, my energy, my resources to do something, give this person something that will bring them closer into relationship with the Lord? Or how many of us thought, okay, I know they have a special at Walmart on that thing, that bauble, that trinket, you know, that he really needs, he really needs this thing and that's going to bless him and he's going to, or she's going to be blessed by it and we're, it's going to draw us closer together because they're going to just be so taken by how thoughtful we were, right? But our minds automatically think our assumption is that the joy is in buying something and wrapping it up in paper and giving it to the person, and that's where the joy is, right? Because that's the culture we live in. And by the way, it's not unique to 21st century America. It's, it's the culture of the fallen world. It's the world system, and it permeates all of who we are and how we think about joy and abundance and, and finding satisfaction in this life. Right? We are very materialistic. We are orientated to the material. And what God is saying is, you're never going to find joy in that. You might have a moment of, oh, coolness, but that quickly fades. That fades faster than the actual toy fades, right? Like our excitement over that thing is way gone long before that thing even is gone. Right? And then what happens? So then we go looking for the next thing. Okay, well, it's time for me to upgrade to the iPhone 11 Pro by the way, anybody want to, you know, give me great joy? I would, I would be very joyful for about three days, I think, if you, if you did that for me. But, you know, it's fading. It just goes away. And, and, and yet, it is so woven into us. How many of us, when someone asked us, well, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, man, I want to be closer to the God Almighty. Give me something that will enhance my quiet time, my study of his word. Give me something that will enhance my worship of him. Help me to focus on him more deeply. Is that our first thought? I'll be the first one to admit, it's not my first thought, right? My first thought is iPhone 11. Kind of. Well, not really, huh, babe? Yeah. But that's just a random example. It's like, you know, how, well, what do I need in my man cave? Or do we think, oh, well, what do I need in my prayer closet? You know, we're, we're just not oriented to that. Why is that? Because we don't understand that the fullness of joy is in the presence of the Lord. We really don't get that, right? I mean, let's be really honest with ourselves. I mean, would our lives be radically different if we really understood what David's saying right here? Would it not? Would it completely change our whole orientation and how we invest our time, our resources, our money if we really understood this? So I don't think we understand this well. So point... The first principle, and maybe a, a, something to commit to for this year, is, is to say, Lord, help me understand that you are the source 
of every good thing. Scripture says all good gifts come from the Father, from the hand of the Lord. God is the, the wellspring, the fount of all that we desire ultimately. And we so easily replace them with just things. You know, that's, that's what we've been studying all year in Isaiah, right? It's just idolatry. Just over and over and over again, we find things or people or events or experiences to replace God. When it's God who provides the blessing, the joy, and even these things are his gift to us, but we, we need to recognize that they come from his hand. Amen? So that's the first thing is, Lord, help me to understand that I'm only going to be ultimately satisfied in you this year. I'm only going to find joy this year to the degree that I press in with you, that I seek you, that I open my heart to you. So that's the first one. The second one, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's a component to this, and it's something that I think it's one of the things that most gets in the way of really pressing in to the presence of the Lord and experiencing fellowship with the Lord, and that is our sin nature, of course, and more, and more specifically, what we do with our sin nature. How do we, even though we are, as believers, adopted children of God, how do we, even as we sin, press into the presence of the Lord? And the answer is often we don't, right? When we've blown it, when we're on, we feel that weight of guilt, the last thing we want to do is press into the Lord. We kind of want to keep him at arm di distance. We want to sort of pretend like it really didn't happen. We want to sort of minimize that it's, oh, he's okay with it. It's not a big deal. It's not a big sin. It's, you know, a little sin, right? We rationalize it. Well, I wouldn't have done it except this happened and this happened. We come up with all these defenses about why we've blown it with the Lord instead of doing what we're going to talk about now. And what we're going to talk about now is in Psalm 51. And this is David. And again, what I really appreciate about David is he goes all the way. And if David is going to repent before the Lord, if David is going to make a confession to the Lord, he's going to go all in with it, okay? And I think that's the challenge for us with the Lord is that we go all in, the Lord with, all in with seeking the Lord. And part of that is going all in when we've blown it and seeking the Lord and making confession to the Lord. So here's David's confession to the Lord. And by the way, this is David's, David penned this psalm after he would, had been confronted by the prophet over his sin of committing adultery and then sending the woman he had adultery with, sending her husband to the front lines to be killed, okay? So that's pretty intense sin, is it not? But whether the sin is great or small and however you measure great or small sin, the littlest sins can get in the way of our fellowship with the Lord and get in the way of keeping the Lord as the central theme, the central focus to our joy, right? So I want to look at how David makes his confession to the Lord, how David seeks the Lord even in the midst of this horrific sin that he's been confronted with. So Psalm 51, David starts off, and this is a great way to start, have mercy on me, O God. You know what? Just have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Now notice, David asked for God's mercy not based on his repentance, 
not based on some New Year's resolution that he's going to just try better next time, not based on he's going to, you know, give a lot of money to the temple and support the temple, not based on some religious practice, but he's asking for God's mercy based on what? Based on God's steadfast love. And notice that it is steadfast love, meaning it is unchanging. God's love doesn't change for us, whether we are in obedience to him or we're in disobedience to him, whether we are just out here blowing it, just serving ourselves, or we're completely submitted to him, his love is the same. His love is steadfast. And yet, when we blow it, and we know it, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit's there, and we're just like, oh, just feeling that, like, oh, I hate, I hate that feeling, by the way. It's a good thing. It's the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, there's something wrong here, John. You need to pay attention, but I hate it. But when we feel that, we feel unlovable, right? I feel like God, God's going to feels like, you know, how could God love me? I, I really, I'm blowing it again. Not only am I blowing it, but I'm committing the same sin that I've committed already 10,000 times before in my life. You know, God, aren't you, done? aren't you fed up with me at this point? But David's saying, look, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, the love that never changes. According to your abundant mercy. God's mercy is abundant. It's inexhaustible. And of course, it's predicated on the, the ransom that his, his only begotten his son has made for us, right? And we're going to get more into that in a bit. But his mercy is abundant. And it's based on his steadfast love. And his love is not fickle. It's steadfast. Whether we are walking according to his will and, and just loving him, or we're just blowing him off and blowing it big time. God's love for us is steadfast. David continues, says, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's a lot of washing, is it not? David's like, scrub me clean, Lord. I am filthy. I need like the super max, you know, on the washing machine. I need the super max heavy duty cleaning job. I need you to blot out my transgressions. The ways I have transgressed your law, the way I've I have purposely and knowingly crossed the boundaries, Lord. Blot that out. Wash me from my, thoroughly from my iniquity, my, my devious ways, my manipulations, my controlling, me trying to be God rather than just letting God be God and, and serving him as best I can, but rather trying to run people and manipulate situations. Wash me thoroughly of that and cleanse me from my sin, which is like a catch-all. You know what? Cleanse me from everything else. Cleanse me of all my evil ways. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Anybody ever feel like that? Ever feel, had that time where you're like, okay, I know I blew it, Lord. I blew it big time. And it just keeps coming up in your mind. It just keeps coming up in your mind. It's like, oh, Lord, I just feel awful. And I just can't. It's just ever before me. Right? And we have all these ways to try to push it away or push it under. We we stuff it down deep and try not to think about it, or we try to rationalize it away, or we try to minimize it again and say, oh, it probably is not, you know, it's okay. I'm a, God has forgiven me. I'm okay. I don't, I'm, it's good. Let's just move on. But David is not just moving on here, right? He's embracing it. He's calling a spade a spade. He's, like, he's saying, look, 
I know it, God. I can't pretend not to know it because I know it. It's like I can't hold this beach ball in the, under the water forever. It just keeps wanting to come up, and I got to deal with this, right? And God wants us to deal with it. When we've blown it, we've broken fellowship with him, we got to deal with it. And we can't deal with it by saying, well, God, I know you forgive me. You're good. Your love is steadfast, everlasting, so I'm good. Let's just move on. That's not dealing with it, okay? You got to deal with it. You got to look at it. You have to see what's there. And in this case for David, it is there. It's in his face. And there's sometimes when it's like that, there's other times when you may not even be aware of it, right? But the moment the Holy Spirit speaks to you or the Word of God speaks to you and say, eh, there's something wrong here, we need to look at it. And of course, the first inclination is to kind of put it away, kind of shy away and move away from it. But David is looking squarely right at it. Verse 4, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So this is really interesting, and this goes to the first point. The whole reason we want to make confession to the Lord is because we want to restore a relationship with the Lord, or we want to receive his restoration of the relationship, right? So this, like I said, the prerequisite for this is that you want to have a relationship with him in the first place, that you want to press in with him, that you want to know him deeply and intimately, and you want to feel his presence in your life, and you want to know his empowerment. But you know, you've blown it. And that thing's just sitting there, and you keep trying to put it in the cage and bottle it up and make sure it won't, won't, no one will see it. But the problem is when you do that, all it does is that little, that little pet sin down there, it just keeps growing bigger and bigger and bigger and turns, until it turns into this giant monster and wipes you and the people around you out, okay? So the moment we have the conviction, we need to just face it square on, say, it's right here in front of me, Lord. And there's nothing I can do to make it right. But you know what? Your love is steadfast and your mercy is abounding. Help me, God. And by the way, Lord, you are absolutely justified in condemning me to hell forever. I should perish forever because of this sin. It's that serious. That's what David's saying here. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You know what? The reason we feel conviction is because God is saying, you're right, you're wrong. Got that? You're right, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus, is God is agreeing. David is agreeing with God. Lord, you know what? You're, you are correct to judge me because what I did is wrong. And it is ever before me, right? And we have to go there. We have to acknowledge that. Otherwise, Again, we're just kind of skimming over it, and it just stays there, and it remains there, and it creates separation between us and God. And by the way, when we have separation between us and God, we have separation between each other as well. It affects all the relationships around us. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is the essence of confession, okay? Confession is speaking the truth. Confession is speaking the truth in the inward being, in the deep secret places of each of our hearts. Nobody knows all the little thoughts that are in your head, the things that you've done, the things that you think about. 
only one who knows that is you and the Lord. And the Lord is just waiting for us to admit and to recognize, hey, this is there. This is what's going on. And to stop trying to plug our ears, stop trying to push it away, stop trying to just hope it goes away and it just gets better on its own over time. But the Lord's saying, no, no, acknowledge what's there. Speak the truth about what is in your inward being. The Lord delights in that. Think about your children or observing other children, if you don't have children yet or, or whatever the situation, but think about as a parent, how much do you, do you want your child to just come clean and be honest with you? And say, yeah, mom, yeah, dad, I, I, I blew it. I, I, you know, I stole the car and crashed it into the wall. <laughs> That's kind of an extreme example, right? <laughs> yeah, mom, I took, I, I, I cracked open the Christmas wrapping, right, and took and snuck a peek at the thing. Because we know that if the moment they make that confession, there's an opportunity to restore a relationship. There's an opportunity to train that child in the way that he should go, right? But if they're never willing to admit it, if they're never willing to make the confession, it just sort of sits there. And that opportunity to grow, the opportunity to restore a relationship never happens, right? So that's why the Lord delights in it. When we just say, Lord, I agree with you. I'm blowing it in this area. I don't know what the solution is yet. I don't know how it's going to get fixed. And at this point, I'm not even telling you I'm going to fix it. I'm just acknowledging, hey, this is the problem. And I tell you, I guarantee you that just acknowledging it is 80% of the battle. Because again, what's our goal? What's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is fellowship with the Lord empowerment, the closeness with the Lord, the joy of the Lord, that abundant relationship, right? So the moment you confess it to him, it restores fellowship with him. You've already achieved the primary goal just in that confession, just acknowledging the truth of what's going on. <coughs> David continues, verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. It's interesting. So hyssop is like a branchy, leafy kind of thing that's really good. At, it's almost like a mop. Like it's an a, a old, old um, first century mop where you take a bundle of these branches and you dip it in a thing, and it holds a lot of, of the fluid, and then you can splash it around, right? So, for example, hyssop was used at Passover when they killed the lamb, and they took the hyssop branch and they put it in the lamb's blood and they used the hyssop as a big paintbrush and painted the blood on the lintel, the doorpost of their house, right? And what did that do? The blood of the lamb was a sign for the angel of death to pass over their house, right? Well, what is the blood that we've been sprinkled in, right? We've been sprinkled in the, in the blood of Christ, Hebrews um, see, Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, it's talking about heaven, Christ entered the heavenly temple. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer 
sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the moment we make confession, guess what? You are forgiven. You are made clean through the blood of Christ. Christ himself has sprinkled us with his own blood, and, and that is what has made us clean from that sin. There's no amount of penance that's ever going to make you clean from that sin. There's no fixing it. There's no, oh, I'll do it better next time, Lord, or, oh, I'll compensate in this way. I'll just be really nice to this person for the next 10 years, and maybe that will compensate for it, right? There's n- none of that will make you clean. What makes you clean is Christ sprinkles his own blood over you. And the moment we confess that sin, we, we are stepping into that reality again. That reality is there and it's always there and Christ is always making intercession for you. But at the moment of confession, we step into it, we experience it, we actualize it in that moment and, and can experience and feel and know the cleansing blood of Christ. But if we're always just sort of pushing our sin away, keeping it under the table and trying to ignore it, we're robbed from that experience. We're robbed from really intimately understanding the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And that's why forget this, this process of confession is so critical, so important. Let's continue on with David's psalm. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. When we're sinning as believers, by the way, when we sin, Jesus will never put us out of his family. We are adopted children. We belong to him. He will not cast us out, right? But he will, as a good father, discipline us. In fact, Hebrews says that, you know what, if you're without discipline, then you're probably not his child. You know, you're an illegitimate child. So when we're sinning, God will will put us on discipline. And, and, and you can feel that, right? You know, when you're in a season where you're kind of blowing it and you just feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, even to the point, and I love the way David expresses this, he, he feels like his bones are breaking under the weight of his sin, right? Because David's bones didn't actually, in fact, break. He, he's not saying, I have broken bones. He's saying the experience of being in this place of, rebellion and unconfessed sin is such a heavy weight that it's just breaking me down from the inside out, breaking my bones. And he says, let, let me hear joy and gladness. Why? Because the Lord loves me enough to discipline me. The Lord's not satisfied with me just leaving my sin down here, hidden someplace. He wants fellowship and connection. He wants fellowship and connection with me And he wants me to share that fellowship and connection with the people around me. But if I have this unconfessed weight of sin sitting there, it just gets in the way of all that. It distorts all of it. David continues, Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is the whole entire point right? Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. God, I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to feel the presence of your Holy Spirit. 
Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Every time we go through this process of confessing our sin and, and seeking the Lord and receiving his washing, once again, it reminds us that we are washed totally and ultimately at our salvation. It sort of re revitalizes and we relive again that born-again experience of, Lord, you really, you really forgave, you, not only, you really did forgive me, even this thing that I'm confessing now, you really, you really forgive me. And what does that do? That stirs up and renews that joy of our salvation again, right? But if we just keep pushing it away, we begin to grow distant and cold and forget how, how, how we have salvation. That, I mean, that's everything, is it not? That we have salvation, eternal life in Christ. But this process brings us back into that, brings us back close to that. And again, the goal is closeness with, Lord, with the Lord. And as we have, have this confession and as the Lord cleanses us, he does it in a way that changes us. It's not a one-off thing. It's not like, okay, I've blown it, now I'm clean, and then I'm going to get dirty again, and then I'm going to get clean, and then I'm going to get dirty again, and I'm going to get clean. And to a degree, that kind of happens, but there's a progression, and each time, the Lord changes our heart. He changes our mind. He changes the way we think about things. He changes our operating system, right? So each time this I love the way David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, within me. Change my motivation, God. Change what I care about. Change my value system. Change my attitude, the spirit that I approach life in. Change me. Grow me into the character of Christ. And so each time we go through this process of confession, it's another training ground where God is changing who we are and making us more and more like Christ. Verse 13, then I, now notice, this is a pivot point. So up to now, it's all God, right? It's God who washes me clean. It's God who has steadfast love and abundant mercy and has washed me clean through the, through the blood of Christ, right? God's done it. Then, what will I do? Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You want to have a ministry? You want to have impact on people's life? Be a really, really, really good confessor. You know what? Seek the Lord with everything you've got, and when you blow it, press right into that and confess your sin to him. Receive his ab abundant love, and as you're in this process, what's going to happen? You're going to be like overflowing with, look, dude, God, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God will forgive you? You know that the worst horrible thing that you've done in your life, God will wash you clean of? And I know because I, I've experienced that. I've been there. I've done that, right? That's what creates ministry. You know, putting together the church programs and doing the business of the church, all of that has to be done. But the ministry, the reason the ministry happens is because God shows up and forgives us all. And we get excited about that, and we want to share it, right? But if we don't want to deal with it, if we just want to push it away, then what happens? We just get further and further from God, and we get further and further away from each other, right? But if we press in with the Lord, we make our confession, 
we have an incredible opportunity to have huge impact on the people around us. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. David had a guy killed to cover up his adultery, right? That's his blood guilt, guilt, guiltiness. He murdered somebody, but God restored him. God disciplined him, and he paid a price for that. He had to deal with civil war within his own household and his own kingdom because of it. But God forgave him, and God restored him, and there is nothing, there's no sin that you have committed or will commit that will separate you from the love of God. Christ, if you are in Christ, if you've put your hope and faith in him. The Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. Catch this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That is the essence and the core of our religious practice. The core of our religious practice is just being honest about who we are with God as we press in and seek him. That is our religious practice, to seek the Lord, to embrace him, to draw close to him, to want his fellowship and his support and his encouragement. And when things break down and, we, and our flesh shows up, and it creates separation and breakdown that we just press right back on that. We square off with it. We say, God, this is me. I am a broken man. I am a, I love that quote Robert shared on New Year's Eve from Christmas Carol, the way it describes Ebenezer Scrooge. And I can't quote it off the top of my head, but that, that scratching, gnawing old sinner, you know, that's my abbreviation of it. But to just admit, look, I'm just that scratching, gnawing, Selfish, old sinner, God. And specifically in this way, in this situation, right? That's another little tip too. Be specific. It's not, oh, I'm just such a bad sinner, Lord, save me. Okay, what's for lunch, right? It's what is going on right here in the here and now in my life that I'm trying to ignore because it's kind of ugly and I don't really like to think about it. But you know what? It's getting in the way of our fellowship with Christ, and it's getting in the way of fellowship with one another. And we just have to face it squarely and say, God, this is it. This is, who, this is how broken I am. This is how deceitful I am. This is how selfish I am. I confess it to you. I receive the forgiveness, the washing of the blood of Christ, and I rejoice in the salvation that I have in you. That's the Christian life. That's our religious practice. And then that grows and expands out, and David finishes by saying, do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will I delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now, didn't he just say that God doesn't delight? What did he say? The sac he says, for you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. But then he comes, follows right back up in, in the, his last verse and says, then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So which is it, Lord? What are right sacrifices? Right sacrifices, as he says in verse 17, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And when we 
make that sacrifice, then our, our religious, outward religious practice has meaning. So when, when, when we come here on Sunday morning and worship and praise the Lord, after having a week, uh, a week of being contrite, being honest about our sin, sin, pressing in with the Lord, seeking fellowship with Him, and experiencing His forgiveness and His washing and His cleansing, do you think your worship's going to be different than it would have been otherwise? Would your, would your public religious sacrifice, you know, in our case it's coming here and making an offering, you know, we pass an offering plate around, that doesn't make anybody more holy. But it's an, and particularly it doesn't make you more holy if you've just been blowing off God all week long and are try to, trying to buy, buy his love and approval back from him because you've been blowing him off all week. That's absolutely worthless. That is a worthless sacrifice that God has no delight in. But when we make the sacrifice of being honest with him and saying, Lord, I want you more than anything else in the world, and yet I continue to ignore you, I, I continue to just think you're not relevant, I continue to just blow you off, when we make those confessions to him with all of our heart and receive his forgiveness, and then we come in Sunday morning and we say, Lord, I just, want to, I just want to put this cash in there. I just want to write this check. I want to commit to doing this once a month out of an expression of gratitude of your heart. That is an acceptable sacrifice that he is pleased in. Right? Let's pray. Hmm. Lord, we... We chase after many things. God, I chase after many things. Lord, I'm such, a, I'm such a techno geek. I love just the toys, the technology, the, the distract, the, the, the inventions of, of human beings, Lord. And, and yet, those things are not, are not the source of all joy, God. They are not, the, they're not what provides joy the abundant life, God. It's you who have provided my very breath, Lord. It's you that provided a country that I can live with that is, that is mostly ruled by law, Father, that we have mostly peace in where we live, Father. That is a gift from you, Lord. The fact that we have food on the table, that we have cars to drive, that we have jobs is a gift from you, Lord. Father, help us and and forgive us, forgive me for, for replacing you with things, Jesus. Lord, I confess to you my wicked heart, God, that seeks to find joy from myself and my own control and my, by my own means rather than finding joy in you, Jesus. You are the source of joy. You are the source of abundant life. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You have given us the path to life, Lord. Father, I turn from the idolatry of this life and I embrace you, Lord, and I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that I am washed completely clean, God. Though my sin be as crimson and as red as the brightest red, Father, you have washed me white and clean through your blood. Restore in me, God, a new heart. Make a not right spirit in me, Lord. 
Cast me not from your presence, Lord. God, help me. Empower us this year, Father, to seek you and to be close to you and enjoy your presence forevermore. In your son's name, 